Welcome, welcome. It is Wednesday and it is podcast Wednesday. And I'm really excited for today's story because it, our interview today is with April. And April is actually one of my doula clients. And she has, oh my gosh, like we could probably take three or four hours to share the whole story and all of the intricacies of how everything played out in in her birth. And but we're not, we're going to try and keep it super short and we're, it's probably going to be a little bit hard for us. So bear with us while we try and uh, keep this story to under an hour and get on there with it. But April has had three C-sections and then she had a V-back after three C-sections. That was a 36 week stillborn. And then she went on to have another V-back after three C-sections with a healthy baby girl. And that's who I, who's, that's when I supported her as a doula for her second feedback after three C-sections. And I really admire April a lot. Her, um, I'm going to talk a little bit, maybe at the end, if we have time about like her relationship with her provider and how she created this really cool mutual respect dynamic between them. If not, we're going to have to just have another podcast episode. I think about just like me just telling about that cool, th- cool things I experienced there. But she just is like fresh off the V-back, like just be- like just over a month fresh off of her V-back. And it's such an incredible story, but I don't want to take up too much time sharing about it because I want her to be able to share as much as she can. But before we do that, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And this is from Home Claw 90 This was on Apple Podcasts. And the title is, I listen every single day. It says, after a traumatic cesarean with my first baby five years ago and multiple miscarriages in between, this is a breath of fresh air. And I, as I await my chance to have a V-back this October with my second, love every single story I hear on this podcast. And it makes me feel so much stronger in knowing that I can do this. So, and she has, October has passed. This was last July. So, if you are still listening, Home Claw 90, send us the message. We'd love to hear how it turned out. Absolutely. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. We are going to get right into April's story, education, good support, listening to your intuition, trusting yourself, being grateful, giving yourself lots of grace, uh, knowing that it's okay to say no and ask questions. Like these are all big parts of her story. And we are just going to let her take it off and then just see where this story flows. All right, April, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Well, I... Just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast and share my story. Um, I hope it will be helpful to at least one person out there. I know that when I found the VBAC link this past fall, actually, at the beginning of this last pregnancy, 
it was a tremendous resource and I have been telling everybody about it ever since. <laughs> so hopefully now I'm sure Julie is totally okay with that. I'm but totally yeah. Okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it it really was I, I just can't even tell you how grateful I am that this resource is out there. Um I'm not paid to say this by any means or anything like that. I ended up hiring Julie as a result of listening to the podcast and actually going to your website. I think I actually did a lot of um, that through your emails and your blogs, probably more than even the podcast, <laughs> just looking at it and finding the specific information for the things that I needed at the time, because it can be very overwhelming for those of you that are already on a VBAC journey or wanting to pursue that. Sometimes it's just a lot of information and, and depending on what your circumstances are and maybe what your past history and trauma is, it can be there could just be so much and you can go in so many directions. And if you're like me, my brain is really creative and does that on its own anyway. So I was just really grateful for Megan and Julie and the whole VBAC link um, community and team for putting together like, you know, more, more bullet point information where I could find exactly what I needed when I wanted it. So just thank you for having me on. Okay. So to get into my story, um, I already invited Julie and Megan to like interrupt <laughs> and to help ask questions to keep you on track, but I'm just going to kind of go over it um, like a summary first, and then maybe we'll just dive into stuff after that. So when I was um, actually 18, I was pregnant for the first time, and me and my husband were expecting our daughter, and um, I really didn't, I didn't know, you know, you just don't know what you don't know, right? And as an 18-year-old who was entering motherhood and really excited about it and grateful for it, but also terrified and, you know, it was a big transition in my life at the time too, um, I just didn't know a lot about birth in general. And um, I really had a lot of trust in providers who I think were really great people, but didn't, I just didn't know what to ask and I didn't know how to really prepare for for birth other than like watching you know, birth story shows and <laughs> like random information like that. Probably not the best resources, guys. And anyway, I ended up having, after a pretty like smooth pregnancy, I ended up having an emergency cesarean with her and hers was due to a cord being wrapped around her neck and which we didn't know until I got to the pushing phase and her heart rate kept dropping and went so low and didn't want to come back up after the third time. And so we were rushed immediately to an emergency cesarean. And during that cesarean, I'm not sure, I actually only found out at um, when we had our stillbirth later, my, I was actually given extra insight as to what exactly happened during that first birth. But apparently I had um, possibly some amniotic fluid or something get into my bloodstream and, and it caused, I'm still not sure if it was a pulmonary embolism or it was some type of embolism. <laughs> I still need to like go and actually find out exactly what happened, but it was um, a life-threatening situation as a result of that, uh, that cesarean. And so not only was it a, you know, not the birth story I wanted, um, my daughter thankfully was healthy and was okay after being monitored in the NICU for a little bit because she had meconium in her um, fluid when she was born. But on top of that, they actually, I barely got to see her and I got to say hi to her and give her a kiss, you know, as my husband brought her around, you know, from the, the, the drapery, you know, to me. And I looked over at my anesthesiologist who was on my other side and I, I don't know why, but I couldn't move anything other than my head. And I looked, I looked at him and was just pleading with my eyes because I, for some reason, couldn't even do any type of motion or sound or anything. And thankfully he realized something was wrong and 
told me that he was going to put me out and they were going to, I would be okay. And the next day I knew I woke up and it was six hours later and she um, was being brought to me in the recovery area and mother, mother baby. And I had missed it. You know, I had missed the first six hours of her life and it was, that was really hard for me. That was really traumatic for me. Um, I, I did not love that. I was grateful at the time and still am that, you know, we had the ability to deliver her by cesarean and, you know, whereas that was probably truly necessary for her, you know what I mean? To be, to be born that way, it was still really traumatic and it was really sad. And I was really hoping when I got pregnant with my second, that we wouldn't have to do that again. And I would be able to be the first one to hold her and, or to hold him this time. Cause it was my boy. <laughs> and, um, you know, be able to have that, just that, those moments together peacefully, you know, and without the, the drama around it. And I, you know, prepared what I thought was preparing for a VBAC. And I went and found a different provider and I asked them, that was like the first thing I, you know, when they ask you, what do you want, you know, and what are your questions and concerns with this pregnancy? It was, I would really like to have a VBAC and, you know, be, you know, I'll do whatever, whatever you tell me to do, um, you know, to prepare for that and to hopefully make that successful. And I really wasn't given any information. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. We'll just plan on that and um, just do what you did before and nothing different. No, no further information or education. And again, I just kind of trusted that the providers knew best and didn't really seek out any extra information on my own. So anyway, I went through that whole pregnancy and again, it wasn't too eventful. And then we got to birth and I went into the hospital and didn't know, but I know now that it wasn't the most uh, friendly uh, for VBACs in general, (laughs) but again, didn't know. And I was put on an epidural like right away, even though I didn't really need one, but they were like, well, this is mandatory because you're a VBAC. And I was just kind of, there was a lot of interventions that were given right up front that I wasn't really told I had a choice with. And I didn't realize it was okay to say, yeah, I don't want to do that or to ask more questions or just get more information about it. And I just kind of went with the flow because I, like I said, I'm, you know, I just trusted the providers and I knew I wasn't a nurse or doctor and wanted, um, you know, I just figured because they knew that I wanted to have a successful VBAC and I was vocal about that, that I assumed everybody was making or telling me that the best advice to get that outcome. So I went in and had been laboring really well and progressing really well. And then as soon as I actually got into the hospital, was admitted and with the interventions that they did, my labor started to slow down significantly. And then it still was progressing, but just a lot slower. And then after um, 17 hours, so my daughter was 26 hours of labor before the cesarean and my son was 17 hours. And when we got to delivery, you know, at the 17 hour mark, we had the opposite happen with his heart rate. So whereas my daughter, when we started to push, her heart rate dropped. My son, they were like, okay, he's, you know, at a plus one now. Why don't we like, because he just, we just weren't, I was at a plus one, but he'd been there for like an hour. And so they were like, maybe we should consider starting to push. And then just before I actually started to push, his heart rate just skyrocketed. And, you know, for no, no reason that we actually could see. And so they immediately were like, baby's in distress, you know, something's wrong. And, and after, I, I don't even know exactly how many minutes, because it all happened really fast. They were like, okay, we're going in for another cesarean, we need to get them out right now. And they unhooked me from the epidural and brought me back to the operating room. And before I knew it, he was actually delivered. And I wasn't even 
numbed because they couldn't get the new epidural going fast enough. And it was just, it was just really traumatic and really not what I wanted. (laughs) But again, I was really grateful that my baby was healthy in here and I survived it. And, you know, we still had eventually an outcome, you know, where both of us were okay in here, but the getting there part was not fun. So Anyway, that was my VBAC experience and um, it wasn't great and it obviously had, you know, failed. And so I just thought, okay, like that's it. And then they had made me sign all this paperwork and saying, you know, like if it does fail, like this is it, you get, you get one chance and then it's cesareans going forward, you know, with any other kids you have. And so I, three years later, we decided to um, have another baby again and I with a different provider again and I asked them first thing, you know, is it is that still the same rule or can I try for a VBAC? Cause I had learned more in between now and then. And I, you know, thought maybe I wasn't given the best options and now I know I definitely wasn't. And so I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I still could do it. Maybe we could have a better <laughs> first entry, first moments meeting, you know, baby, um, because my son had been taken to the NICU for monitoring as well. And because the, I had not been done during the cesarean, they knocked me out because I went into shock and I was on narcotic medicine for the first little bit. And so it was just, I was very in and out of it at the beginning of his life too. So I just really, again, missed that, that birth story that I was really hoping for in those bonding moments at the beginning and everything. And, you know, and minus trauma for them and for me. And so anyway, I asked this provider with my baby number three, um, my second son, if we were still looking at the same thing or if we had to just plan on the cesarean. And they told me absolutely not. Like there's, there was no choice for me just because of the, the emergency cesareans beforehand that I for sure had to just schedule cesarean and that was it. And we weren't even going to have a discussion about it. And I took that for what it was worth. And I uh, thought that was it. And so I said, okay, like, and I didn't know anybody that had had any um, VBACs after more than one cesarean. And so I really thought that that was the end all and didn't know any better. And so we had a planned cesarean with him and it was the weirdest thing going into a hospital and delivering without being in labor. And it was actually a beautiful experience. It was, you know, no, no drama, no um, unexpected events. I, you know, delivered him and they did take him away to give him his first bath right away. So I didn't quite get the the family center (laughs) cesarean that I think you can do now, but it was still, you know, it was still better than it had been. And so it was very different, but it was good. And, and both of us were safe and healthy and, and we were good, you know. And then we, years later, we decided to have our caboose baby is what we, we termed it. And we got pregnant with our fourth and uh, there was a 10 year gap. And the pregnancy went well up until the 20 week mark when we went in for our anatomy scan. And we found out that she had a pleural effusion, which I had never heard of before, but it meant that there was fluid um, in between her chest wall cavity and her lung. And it was on one side. It wasn't like multiple pockets, which would have been worse, but there was this pocket of fluid that they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it came from. And of course I went home and like looked up statistics right away and 20% of them, you know, just, 80% can be lots of scary things and often, you know, not often I should say, but a lot of them don't end up with good outcomes for baby. Um, And then there's 20% that just magically show up and they magically go away as the specialist put it. And so it was really scary and stressful, you know, from 20 weeks um, on, we had extra ultrasounds to monitor it. And we just, you know, we're hoping and praying that it went away. 
and that there wasn't, um, they did extra blood work tests and stuff and, and we couldn't indicate that it was, that it meant anything more than just possibly that 20% that just, they don't know why it was there and they don't know why it goes away. And, but there wasn't anything else that showed that it was going to be anything more than that. But we did have to monitor it to just hope that it went away. And they were like, if it's present at birth, then we can, you know, we can possibly help relieve it then, you know, after birth. But in the meantime, we just have to watch it. So that's what we were doing. So we had a lot of extra eyes on baby and me during that pregnancy. And um, she was due in October of 2019. And well, actually, she was, she was due November 5th of 2019. Sorry, she was born in October. So we got to um, our 32-week mark and had another ultrasound at that point. And we uh, had felt really lucky. And we discovered that, like, the pleural fusion had completely gone away at that point. So we thought we were um, the 20% that, just got really lucky and it was gone and it wasn't a problem anymore. And the specialist at that appointment said, you know, if we didn't even know, like if we didn't know that this had existed in the first place, we wouldn't be able to have see any signs that ever was there in the first place. So, you know, you're, you're safe, you're in the clear, you're good. And now we're 32 weeks and passed. And so if baby does come early, like we're, you know, we just thought we were safe, quote unquote. And so then we went to our 36 week checkup thinking that we had a month in between that appointment and, and that one, thinking that all was well and we were finally out of the woods and, you know, we were going to have this baby any, any time now. And, you know, we were all ready and had the nursery ready and had all the things. And, you know, we're really excited to be welcoming our little kids to our family. And um, my kids were, the older kids were 10 and gosh, I guess they were 10 and 13 and 15. No, probably 14 actually at the time. Oh, no, sorry, just barely 15. Anyway, oh, gosh, now I'm messing it up. Anyway, something like that, but teenagers, basically. <laughs> and anyway, so it was very much a family affair. And we went in for our, well, I went into the 36-week appointment. My husband had been able to go to most of them, but that one, he was he had to work that morning. And so he went 45 minutes away from where I was at uh, to go to a job. And I went to that appointment thinking everything was great. And we discovered that there was no heartbeat right at the very beginning. And it was devastating to say the least. I don't want to speed over it too much, but I know in favor of time I need to. So I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> just sum up with that. It was horrible. I Child loss is uh, just about, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't imagine anything worse than it. So, um, yeah, it was crushing. And there was no explanations when we, when we found out. And then later at our six-week follow-up appointment, after they had done lots of testing on her and me, we never got any answers. So we don't know what happened or why, but her heart just stopped. And it was uh, just crushing in every way. And we had, um, were religious and spiritual people. And there was, we just, it, it not, none of it flowed with anything that we had felt like we'd received as far as like personal revelation and thinking certain things. And it was all just very confusing and really, really difficult time for all of us. And and so that happened and uh, there were miracles that happened out of the tragedy that I was also hard kind of because <laughs> it, it's hard when, when you're going through something so tough to say that anything good could come out of it because if given the chance, you would undo the hard part at any moment, you know, but there were some miracles that came out of it immediately and following, you know, in the, in the days and weeks and months following. Um, and one of them was that our doctor was 
just so grateful for him, our OB, um, during that appointment after the initial, you know, shock and discussions about what to do next and everything. He did give me the surprise option of delivering to attempting to do a VBAC again. And that's where this unexpected VBAC came from with my fourth, uh, because he said that really for me, the risks were obviously there's still that uterine rupture risk, but he was like, that's really more, you know, the concern is to try and save both of you and especially the baby if that happens. So he was like, I feel comfortable and his provider, there's a group of them. And so his partner that was actually going to be at the hospital because he wasn't there, he wasn't going to be there. So the provider that was at the hospital were comfortable allowing me to try for a VBAC and just doing it very, very slow and just hoping that it went well. And if it didn't, we'd end up doing an emergency cesarean again. And then the alternative was just to do a cesarean. And we felt like my husband wanted to go for the, let's just go for a cesarean again and, you know, get the baby out. We waited this long and he was really afraid of, because of the traumatic burst with, you know, trying for VBAC before. He was afraid of what could happen. So he was like, let's just do that and, you know, save ourselves any more drama. And I don't know. I, well, I do know why. I, the only reason I can say why I felt peace and calm in that moment and why I knew to try for the other option, you know, to try for a VBAC again was because it was the only option that felt good at the time and felt peaceful. And I didn't have any fear about it, which was so not like me because I usually overthink and <laughs> overthink everything and get anxiety easily. So I decided when everything else felt so out of control and not my plan anyways, that if that one felt like the first step in a, in something that didn't just seem wrong, you know, when my world was upside down, then I was going to trust it and just go with what felt right. And so we ended up going into the hospital and they mechanically induced me with a Foley bulb or Foley bulb. Yeah. And a um, Pitocin drip that was, they were doing it by increments of two. I'm not sure what they started me out, but Usually they anyway, do they, two every 30 minutes and sometimes yeah. they'll do a four. So two is considered a low dose and four still low, but higher, like two milliliters yeah. an hour every 30 minutes. That's probably what it was then. I know it was two. And so if it was every 30, yeah, that sounds right. So anyway, so we did that. And then I got an epidural earlier on because my friends were like, why I had two friends come to visit us there in the hospital. And they were just like, at first I wasn't getting the epidural and they were just like, you know, you're already going through so much pain. Like why put yourself through any more physical pain on top of that and let yourself maybe take that edge off with that epidural and let yourself, you know, just really focus on preparing to meet your baby. And for the very, you know, few hours that you will have together, you know, and in preparation of that and everything that was happening and the loss and everything. And so, so I did, I got the epidural and, and it was fine. And um, we ended up after 43 hours, so several days, we got a miracle and she was born vaginally and it was, we, I only pushed for 15 minutes. It was beautiful and crazy. <laughs> um, I did stall for quite a bit, which is why it was 43 hours. Just, it was just really slow progress from like that entire second day, basically. But then we had a lot of people praying for us and uh, we had priesthood blessings and, and other things. And, Finally, we actually took a nap. <laughs> I wasn't really getting much sleep even at night because of the circumstances. It was difficult to sleep or to do anything really um, other than cry. And 
right before we finally, I delivered her, I actually was finally able to take a nap and I got a one hour rest. And when I woke up, my body had finally dilated like fully. Uh, well, I was already fully effaced the whole time, but I finally dilated to a 10 and we were able to start pushing. And like I said, we pushed for 15 minutes and she was born. So it was amazing. And I literally had zero prep <laughs> for a VBAC, you know, other than what I had done the 12, 13 years before when I actually tried for a VBAC. And so it was truly like, in my opinion, by the grace of God <laughs> that it happened. And, you know, here we were, we found ourselves in a terrible circumstance, but also a miracle, you know, because we didn't ever think we'd have that experience. And it was really um, awful and really beautiful at the same time, because we were able to have what we never thought we would be able to. And we were able to share those moments with our kids and with our, you know, newborn daughter, who even though was deceased, we were able to really spend a lot of time with her immediately after. And it was all very sacred and really um, just like, there's a lot of words that just don't describe it, but just really sacred. So that was our fourth birth. And then this last time we, we actually knew before we even went in to deliver this, this, our fourth baby, our still birth at 36 weeks. After the appointment, my husband, I called him because he was, like I said, he had been at a job that was like 45 minutes away from where we were and had to tell him the news over the phone. And he raced to where I was and met us there because we were there for a couple of hours before we went home to prepare to go to the hospital to deliver. And when he met me there, we were talking things over with the doctor. And he said, I, our doctor told us, he's like, I know that you're not even thinking this because I was supposed to actually be done we were planning this fourth and then I was supposed to have my tubes tied and everything because it was supposed to be another planned cesarean. And so we were, we were totally done and very like mentally and emotionally content and prepared to be done having kids. And, and then when that curveball happened, you know, we, everything, like I just said, everything was upside down and we, you know, there was no discussion or, or forethought into any decisions past that. And so our doctor told us, I know you don't, you know, you haven't even thought about this. And you don't have to make any decision or think about this right now per se, but I just want you to know that I would be willing to do a fifth cesarean on you if you would like to try again for another child. Because before that, we had discussed that four was really the safe, safest number for me for cesareans. And so I really should be done after four. And that was part of that decision to be done. So anyway, um, you know, <laughs> the last thing on my mind uh, during birth, you know, for our stillbirth daughter was to get pregnant again and to go through all that again. And, and obviously now with fear of what if this happens again and not even knowing why and everything. But after our, after we lost her and spent a lot of time really, really getting close to God about a lot of things, we really felt strongly um, by the time that actually she had even, that we even gave birth to her that, we probably would try again and it didn't make any logical sense other than it just was, like I said, when so much of my world felt wrong, it was only a, one thing. And sometimes, you know, here and there, just something that would feel right and peaceful. And that was one thing that did. And so as we, uh, you know, after we delivered her and we had our funeral and, and everything, um, we started having really strong feelings that, and this is going to sound really crazy, <laughs> But uh, at least it did to me. <laughs> but my husband and I both started having really strong feelings that that same little girl that we had lost 
really still wanted to be part of our family and that if we were to get pregnant again, that she would come back to us. And Oh, that just gave um, me the chills. <laughs> yeah, it's um, something that honestly my husband and I had never, ever considered. We've had friends that have lost um, babies. I, you know, miscarriage and, and infant loss is not talked about as often as mm-hmm. it probably really needs to be and should be. But, um, but you know, one out of four of women experience loss. And that's something I didn't know before. Um, it's, it's really prominent. And I don't know how often this part of our story happens for others. And I don't think we're, I have no idea why, why it did for us other than I'm just really grateful. And I don't think it has anything to do with I don't know. I'm like, I, I laugh. I'm like, there are so much better people <laughs> that I think probably Aww. deserve a miracle like that. But it, it did for us. And the farther in, you know, after our loss, and it was really hard too because some, we had a lot of support with the people that, you know, we didn't just share it with anybody. It was really sacred and personal to us. And uh, when we did share it, we had most, most people were actually very open and supportive of it. And then occasionally we'd get somebody who was just like, really worried about us, I think, because they just, you know, you love somebody and you don't want them to like suppress their grief or, you know, they were really worried. I think that we were going to kind of go off the deep end, <laughs> you know, and in our grief, we were thinking that our, our dead daughter was going to come back in another body and we wouldn't grieve that baby. And we'd think the new baby was the other baby or, you know, something like that. And, you know, there was just concern. Right. And it was really such a, just a crazy in a good way I don't mean that in a negative way but a really wild experience and during all of this time we did decide to go ahead and get pregnant I was I actually did this full detox with the doctor to like just like physically try to prepare as well as I could and do all these things in preparation for it and at the same time we were doing a lot of spiritual digging and just personally you know and as a couple and as a family and we really got good at at really getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, like with letting other people be uncomfortable if they had, uh, how to put, how to put this up. Like if somebody didn't necessarily understand or support what we really felt and knew to be right for us, that Mm -hmm. it was okay. And it wasn't our job to make ourselves uncomfortable or to tell a lie to make them feel comfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so we were like, okay, you know, like, and for me, I just tried to see everybody as coming from a place of love, you know, just like with our loss. Um, sometimes people don't say the most helpful things to you after you've lost because they want so badly to help you, but they don't know how. And sometimes sometimes what they say can be really hurtful and not helpful. And mm-hmm. um, and so I started kind of unlabeling things from that experience as not good or bad, but just helpful and unhelpful. And I used that as I was preparing for this pregnancy and knowing that I wanted to try to do a VBAC again because we had been able to successfully do it. And now I knew that my body could do it. And having that experience, I just knew that that was what we wanted and we could do it again. Like I felt really, like I said, really good about it again for no necessarily logical explanation. I just knew that it was possible and that I should look into it more and not just take everything you know, that was given to me information wise from a provider or whatever at just surface value. And I should just, I should just ask questions and look into it and follow that intuition. And, you know, we were getting really good at that on every level, right. And including spiritually with what we felt was happening with our daughter coming back and, and in preparing for that. 
And so we decided to stay with our same provider because he had been there, even though he wasn't there at the delivery, he'd been there through the whole pregnancy and in the day of finding out the news and everything, you know, and he'd been really awesome. And, and so we just felt like there was a lot of miracles during the whole time between our provider and with the hospital and where we delivered, which we love shout out to Timpanogos hospital. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we really just felt like, okay, like, you know, God was really there in so many tiny, tiny, tiny details, things that were just really personal to us that were just not, you couldn't overlook it, you know? And a lot of it for me, I, I, I know Julie's kind of the same way we talked about this, but I tend in the, in the past, I tended to kind of find comfort in, um, I tended to find a lot of comfort in statistics and in like concrete evidence, case studies. Like I'm, I'm like, the nerd in me loved to find out, like to comfort myself with the things that that would make me more anxious about stuff. I would go and look for numbers. I would look for concrete evidence. I would look for the odds are in my favor, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, like my logic brain would turn on and that's where I would use, like that's where I would find my comfort. And when we lost our daughter, I couldn't go there anymore because we were the less than 1% of our, of stillbirths. And when I looked to statistics, statistics were painful, you know, like to see that stillbirths hadn't really improved over the last, like, like many, many years. And, you know, just to see all these statistics that, that really just not only didn't bring me comfort, but were hurtful, you know, and, and they didn't give me any kind of like logic. They actually made me more, more upset and more like, uh, I hate using the word crazy, <laughs> but like, that's what they did. They drove me nuts because mm-hmm. nothing about it was logical. It, it had all just been one giant lightning bolt, you know, fluke. And so it just, that was for me more upsetting than anything. So I kind of was walking this like very personal, you know, we could call it spiritual. You could call it learning to really be one with your own intuition, your gut instincts, you know, you can call it a lot of things, but that's what I had to do this entire last pregnancy was, I couldn't look to the numbers anymore just for comfort. I had to look to the, I had, I'd still would look at them and then I would look to God and I'd look to myself and I'd say, okay, does this feel good? Does this feel right? Or do I feel like something's wrong? Do I feel like maybe I need to ask more questions or maybe there's more, there's more to that, or maybe that's actually not correct information, you know? And Mm -hmm. so every doctor's appointment, my OB, he was aware of what I wanted to do and getting pregnant again and trying for a VBAC from, appointment number one, <laughs> we discussed it and we're, you know, vocal about what we wanted and, you know, and tried to get as much support as we could from, I think, a really great provider and group, but not the most VBAC supportive as we, we didn't really know that up, up front, but as we got toward the end of the pregnancy <laughs> and preparing for delivery and during delivery, actually, as Julie can attest, there was a mm-hmm. lot of, um, um, discussion about uterine rupture and everything basically we talked about leading up to, you know, delivery and our choices with that were kind of put on the line again during delivery. <laughs> and we had to have all those discussions again while I was actually in labor. But it was really neat because it was all just practice to be ready and to be able to say, okay, this is what feels right and this doesn't feel right. And it's okay to say yes when it does. And it's okay to say no when it doesn't, you know, or to mm-hmm. ask more questions and have discussions and, and to respectfully disagree with a provider, you know, and, but still have that love and care for each other and realize that we all want the same thing, but we just might not agree on how to get there, you know? Yeah. And so 
we, yeah, we went into labor this last time and they were really getting uh, pushy. I will say the entire last month of my weekly appointments with, and actually I had the weekly appointments, um, but I also had NSTs. So I was actually getting it double because my NST text would sometimes <laughs> discuss like, have they talked about uh, your induction date yet? And, you know, are you doing a cesarean this time? And, you know, all this stuff. And anyway, it was just, it was actually funny, but I, uh, Julie can can tell you because uh, we mm-hmm. ended up hiring Julie actually very late in the game. Julie can say, I, I can't remember exactly how far along I was. I want to say it was around like 32 weeks. 30, yeah, 32 32. or 34 weeks or something, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And I was, and I had wanted to earlier on, but I wasn't sure with COVID and everything, if she'd be allowed in the room and with her loss before I was like, if I only get one person in that room with me, it's going to be my husband, you know? And so when I found out I could have two people there physically there with me, I was like, okay, you know what? I, I really think we need that other person so that when I'm laboring, I don't have to have all the discussions again. And if they try to railroad me, I don't have to, you know, like exactly be a hundred percent with all my facts and logic, you know, or whatever, or, you know what I mean? Or having these long conversations, I can focus on what I need to do and I can let my husband and my doula assist me in, in birthing positions and all the things that, I need to help make this successful as well as having those educated conversations on the side, you know, with me and with providers, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just felt like I really needed that extra person in our corner. And I really never even knew what a doula was until this pregnancy. (laughs) It was really a lot of new stuff for us. Um, But I, I'd been reading a lot of birthing books this time. I had done, like I said, so much research with your guys' website, with other resources out there on what had even happened in my past births and, and, you know, in preparation for this birth and just options and learning, you know, to ask all the questions and not be afraid to find out the answers and then to ask more questions, you know. And so anyway, um, we did, we had Julie with us and I'm so grateful. I don't think we actually would have been a successful VBAC had Julie not been there and uh-huh. not just Julie, but Megan, I know you behind the scenes and others. Yeah, from the VBAC a lot of people too. I know. <laughs> I know that we had a lot of people cheering us on and helping when we needed to. We stalled during labor, and I know that, you know, we had a lot of help with suggestions of different positions to try um, to help her progress because she got stuck with, we almost did the failure to progress at six hours when we thought we were about ready to push. And I was I was at a 95% face, and we were just before lunch. It was like 11, 11, 15, something like that. Julie, do you remember? And... Yeah, we you were, were nine centimeters for six hours. It was yeah, like the yeah, six uh, hour check. Baby bar- moved down just one station, just enough just, for them to, yeah, to keep just going. Enough. Just enough. Yeah, it was so awesome. Just enough. And so, you know, which was awesome. And um, and so anyway, and we did that. And I, and I got to say, again, like God showed up big time because we literally sent out a text to friends and that mm-hmm. entire last like 45 minutes, Julie was, had felt really inspired to, to change up our plan of what positions we were going to do for the special, <laughs> you know, like circuit and um, mm-hmm. that worked out perfectly timing wise. And my husband gave me a priesthood blessing. And literally during that blessing, which is just a, for those that don't know, it's a very personal specific uh, prayer with um, just added authority. And anyway, we, during that, heard her on the monitor totally move which we hadn't heard movement like that huh for like a like long she time literally, like literally you could hear her moving down and into position like on the monitor during it was so the blessing cool. <laughs> it was yeah it was like the coolest amazing thing. 
yeah, and we knew that there were tons of people praying for us, like, at that moment, you know, like, during that. So it was just so cool, and that's, like, I swear that's how we were successful last time, too, amongst all the other things. But, yeah, and so, you know, we got to that part, and sure enough, the doctor came in, and it was the doctor who had just got back on shift for the night shift again, and we'd gone, we'd actually gone into the hospital the night before, and so it was the same doctor that we'd had the first conversation with when we went in and he, Julie and I think he was just the right doctor and she was waiting for him to get there. Cause as soon as he got there, <laughs> uh, she moved and he checked again and we were finally ready. And, um, well, he was like, okay, I think he was like, I think maybe, uh, first he said he was going to help move her. Right. Like he said, he was going to, how did he phrase it? He said he's going to try and turn her head because she's a little, coming yeah. out a little asynclitic. Yeah. And he was like, and I'm, uh, he was like, I won't use forceps or anything. He's like, I'll just, you know, if you're okay with that, I'll just reach out there and try to assist her. Cause she's just kind of like mid spin. But I think if I can just assist her with this little leftover cervical lip, which was just a tiny bit, he said, you know, if I can help her get past that, then, then I think she'll be ready and then we can start pushing. And just before he did that, Julie was shocked. She told me this like never happened, but he got this funny look on his face and he was like, you know, actually what, what's, you know, would you be willing to push? Well, let's just see what happens if, could you just give me a push? Like and push through see. the lip. No providers yeah, ever just, see that. <laughs> like, we're just like, yeah. Sorry, push a little, like as doulas were like, can she, can she just push a little bit? Like it'll probably push it away. The doctor's like, Megan, do you hear that? Like, it just, it was yeah. just so crazy to me. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I hear it. The hard thing is, is like, sometimes it is like so stretchy that like a little, like extra umph will just have the cervix slip over. And then sometimes yeah. it goes the opposite ways that it actually swells. Yeah. That's we're true. pushing against the cervix. Oh. It's not ready to stretch. And yeah. so, um, once in yeah. a while a provider will say, Hey, can you just give me a little push and they'll feel it. And they'll be like, Oh, it reduced and it stayed. But if yeah. it reduces yeah. and then it comes back, the cervix is not ready. So continuing to push isn't usually the best idea. But yeah. for you, wow. it worked. Yeah, yeah, it totally worked. And so, yeah, like he literally said that and we were like, um, okay. And so, yeah, we, we tried it. And, and then he was like, oh, well, I mean, what did he say? He was like, oh, oh, yeah, we're ready. Okay. Oh, yep. It, it cervix works. is gone. Let's keep pushing. Okay, we need to <laughs> yeah, he goes, okay, we're going to start pushing. And then they like, they'd already pretty much prepped the room, right? <laughs> like hours mm-hmm. before, but. But yeah, then there was a little bit of extra commotion and he was like, okay, let's start like pushing, pushing it's time. And, and, um, we only pushed for about 20 minutes and, um, and then he kind of gave her a good pull at the end there. I was really hoping he wouldn't pull on her. And that did cause a little bit of, uh, she had a tiny bit of shoulder dystocia right at, right at the very end. It wasn't, he was like, it almost wasn't even enough to call it shoulder dystocia, but enough that um he did give her a little bit of a pull at the end which was not part of my birth plan but I don't know that he read it (laughs) even though I did all the things (laughs) I did I had it printed out and everything but I don't know if he saw that but uh he he did pull on her and that did we had to have a little bit of body work done on her afterwards because it did kind of injure a muscle in between her her neck and her shoulder but she's she's okay now it's all good (laughs) But yeah, we pushed for 20 minutes and he assisted pulling her out and she was born and was healthy and, and it was great. And for the first time ever, you know, other than with our stillbirth, like we didn't have to have her whisked away. And actually even with our stillbirth, they still did have to take, you know, and, and clean up and do some things before they really, like, we got to spend time with her, you know, directly. And 
this time, you know, she was born and they brought her right up to me and my husband cut the cord and, and I bawled like a baby. (laughs) You'll see that in the picture that I picked for my story. (laughs) We both did. And it was just awesome. And yeah, it was just a really beautiful experience. And the recovery for both of us has been so much better. You know, she, like I said, had a little bit of body work that needed to be done, but that was still pretty minor considering all things. And yeah, just has been thriving. Our breastfeeding experience post birth has been actually amazing. And I've always had issues with that afterwards. And I talked to our lactation specialist. I we hired. Gosh, I can't even remember the abbreviation. It's like IBCLC yeah. certified, something mm-hmm. like that, right? Anyway, we hired one of those to come and actually help us in that first week after birth. And she even, I was talking about everything with her, you know, in our other births. And I'd always had problems with drying up at five weeks with my milk for just no reason. I I did like this crazy feeding and pumping and that's all I would do, (laughs) routine and everything. And um, no matter what, I always dried up around five weeks. And I am happy to say that I'm at five weeks now and we have tons of like, well, not tons of milk. We're still working on getting more, but we have way more milk than I've ever had before. <laughs> and I was just talking to her about the difference, you know, and if cesareans do affect that. And she she has worked in a hospital for a long, long time before she actually decided to go solo and do, you know, her consulting individually. And she said that there was totally a correlation with that, in her opinion, from what she had seen professionally and really had helped. And so I just thought that was just a really cool added benefit that I was like, you know, I don't know, you know, if that was part of why we needed to do a VBAC this time too. I'm not sure what all the reasons are. I feel like they just kind of keep coming, (laughs) you know, but um, I feel like, you know, that that's what this baby needed. And, and it was a really beautiful experience for us and, you know, and recovery afterwards has been night and day difference. I will say some people say cesarean recovery isn't that bad. I, will not say that it is the worst thing ever, but I would beg to differ <laughs> between mm-hmm. between a VBAC recovery and a cesarean or a vaginal birth. I would say, yeah, I definitely would go with a VBAC. Um, for mom, I did get I did get one stitch this time. <laughs> I'm proud of my one stitch. That's really <laughs> good. Nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> I know. I've got, yeah, I know that there are people that have way, way worse. So anyway, every birth is beautiful and I totally think it's, just really amazing, you know, and I'm always very grateful for everybody's happy outcomes, you know, but I do think it's important to go with what you feel is right for you and your baby. And, and sometimes that's going to look different, you know, for each baby and each pregnancy is not the same, but, um, you know, for us, I'm really glad that we finally did say yes to the things like hiring a doula, finding out what a doula was, <laughs> finding the feedback link, you know, and hiring Julie and um, really felt a strong uh, you know, even even picking Julie out actually was an awesome spiritual thing for us too, because we I felt like here was the stranger that I didn't even know was in my state, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone not too far from me, doing this VBAC link that I just randomly found when I was looking at VBAC stuff, and um, you know, ended up I had even emailed her, which I didn't even realize, but I I forgot I had done. And when I did go to hire her, and she was like, "Oh yeah, you emailed me like months ago." That's <laughs> like I did, you know. I just, I knew that Julie was like the person that I needed, the doula that I needed, because not every doula is the same, you know, and I think they're probably all amazing, but you know, you got to find the people that are the right fit for you, for your team and for your, your journey. And we did, and we're just really grateful and it all worked out. So, yeah. 
It's that. a beautiful birth, beautiful story. So, so, so many, so much, so many spiritual and amazing experiences happened with, with the providers and with, I mean, just everything is just really sacred thing. And it was really honored to be a part of it. And I appreciate you letting me into thank that space. You. And I appreciate you sharing your story with all of us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.